Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. And so I just want to share tonight around this idea that I've had. You know, there's this concept in the world that that we hear a lot about. And every time I hear it, something just doesn't sit right with me. And it has crept into the church. And it's this concept of self-care. You heard it? Self-care. And something about it just doesn't, it just grates me the wrong way because you will never find a message by Jesus or his apostles about self-care. You won't. Show me anywhere where the apostles or Jesus taught about self-care. In fact, it was the complete opposite. Self-denial. Dying to self. So every time I hear a Christian talk about self-care, I'm like, I don't know about that. I actually don't know about that because everywhere I look in Bible, it tells me to resist self. It tells me to deny self. And I just actually think that sometimes we adopt concepts of the world because we don't know our Bible well enough. All the way from cover to cover, what it does talk about is your soul health. What it does talk about are disciplines in your life so that you're healthy in the spirit and in the soul. It never tells you to run off and do like the things the world is telling you to do. In self-care, yes, the Lord tells you to have a Sabbath one day every single week. You know why? So that you don't fall in a heap and need a mental health day. So that you don't need to run off and do self-care. Because if you're doing things according to God's standard in the upper room, in the secret place, you're going to be strong. You see, tending to self is an insatiable lure of the world. It is never satisfied. Never. The self is never, ever satisfied. And it's a deceptive term. Doing soul health according to the scripture, that's the key to strength and spiritual maturity. That's what's going to get you through the hard times. And so I've got this concept that's just finally landed in my spirit. You know what? I'm all about soul health, not self-care. Health according to God. That I need to be proactive rather than reactive. That all of God's measures in scripture are proactive. They're proactive, so I don't need to do what's the world say about this. No, I've actually been doing it God's way, and I can be strong. I am strong. I can grow through my hardships. When I am tired, I know exactly what to do in God. Soul health. And so tonight I want to talk about, it's a really practical message tonight. Is that okay? Really practical message on how do I connect with God? Because we've been talking about connecting with God, right? We've been talking about the upper room. And, and tonight I want to give us some keys. I want you to find yourself in the message tonight on how do you connect with God? You. 
How do you connect with God? Because He's closer than you realize. He wants to speak with you more than you can imagine. He's right there waiting for you to come into the upper room, to come into the secret place. And He's just aching to speak to you. He is aching to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom to you. He's so desperate for you to pull yourself away and hear from Him. He wants, it amazes me the moment I still myself how ready He is to speak. And so tonight, how do you do that? Because He is so close. He's not, he's not a far away God. We're the ones who are far away. He's not a far away God. He's right there. He's always right there. We're the ones that are far away. But He's right there. So how do you connect with Him without ceasing? Moses cried out, God, show me your glory. All he was concerned with was catching a glimpse of the glory of God. That's all he wanted. He was offered his own nation. And he said, no, 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 God, I want to maintain your glory. Let's stick with the plan. All he wanted was the glory of God. David said, your face alone will I, will I seek. Psalm 27, David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. One thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Can you honestly say that? That there is no other pursuit in your life. One thing. I want that I may dwell in the house, in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't want anything else. That's all I want, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Verse 8, and when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face I will seek. Amazing that that would be our heart, That because He's close. He's close, but... Seeking God and connecting God is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I've realized that I don't connect with God the same way that everyone else does. And there are other people who connect with God differently to me. And so tonight I want to talk about how do you connect with God? I want you to walk out of here with a pathway to God. With a way to find yourself in His presence in a way that you connect with Him. Where do you go to connect with God? Where do you go to hear from Him, to be fueled by His presence, to be strengthened, loved, restored, to love on Him? Where do you go? We've all heard about the personality profiles. You know, the sanguines that are the party people, the melancholies that are usually the musicians and they're like really like, melancholy. And then there are the cholerics like me, anyone else like, I know the way to do it. Everyone else is wrong. Let's do it yesterday. The cholerics. And then you've got the phlegmatics who are the opposite. And they're like, eh, let's just sit on that for about three years. <laughs> phlegmatics are actually the most stubborn out of the lot, right? I just saw one nodding. Yes. Different personality profiles. Maybe you've heard of Myers-Briggs, the personality profile. Any INFJs in the room? Do I have any friends? Right, the personality profiles. Well, I want to tell you, you have a spiritual personality profile. 
I want to tell you, you are wired a certain way. Just like you might be a sanguine or an INFJ. No, you wouldn't be if you're a sanguine. But just like you have all of those profiles, you also have a spiritual profile, the way that you connect with God that is unique to you. And so I need to be totally honest because if I'm not, I won't sleep tonight. It's part of my personality. Everything I'm about to say is completely ripped off out of this book. And I've bought a few copies. They're available at the concierge desk. It's called Sacred Pathways. Nine spiritual personality profiles. Nine spiritual personality profiles. Are you ready to figure out which one you are? Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Number one, the naturalist. The person who connects with God in nature. This is my mother. Growing up, she took us on bushwalks. I'm scarred for life. I now have a friend, a best friend, and she also loves bushwalks. And we were at Hamilton Island. Hamilton Island. I mean, it's beauty. It's white sand and blue seas. She wanted to walk through the bush. And we're walking. Honestly, what is a bushwalk? You are walking on dirt. Nothing changes. It's hot. Leaves, spiders. It's, I don't understand. But some people connect with God in nature. My mother, she walks out into nature and goes, oh my gosh, isn't this just so beautiful? And some people are like that. The moment they're out in nature, they connect with God. Because creation, it says in Psalms, testifies that God exists. Yes, all the naturalists are going, yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. When Layla, my sweet Layla, was in prep, she went on an excursion to Petrie Old Town. Anyone else been to Old Town? And so there's this cathedral, this chapel, and it's an outdoor chapel. And the pulpit is a boulder, right? There's no roof. The pews are boulders. The aisle is grass. And she came home and she was like, did you know, mum, that God's church is a garden? And so it's that concept. The naturalist knows they, they connect with God in the cathedral of nature. And that's where they go. And maybe that's you. You need to go outdoors in order to connect with God. And if that's you, you need to make that time. Because the hustle and bustle of life will actually stifle your relationship with God. You need to get out walk along a beach, take a hike, do something and connect with God that way. Because creation witnesses to us. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Do you know that they say that so many astronauts become Christians? Because they go up into space and look back on earth and they're like, there's got to be a God. One astronaut is quoted as saying it's really hard to be an atheist in this job because creation testifies. So if that's you, connect with God in nature and make that a discipline, regular, once a week, at least get out and connect with God. Number two, the sensates. These are the people that love God with their five senses. They have to have all the senses stimulated and they're so happy when all their senses are stimulated. In church life, we call it the message before the message. 
right? So you walk in and the place smells good, the temperature's right, the coffee tastes good, right? I mean, that's enough to get someone saved. All the senses, it sounds good, the singers are all in key, right? Um, the air con's the right temperature. The sensate, the person who all of their senses are being stimulated. On the flip side, if you walk in and the place is a mess and it stinks and it looks terrible, then that is actually a blockage to you because you're a sensual person. You're a sensual person. And do you know, all the way through Scripture, we read about people who are sensates. In Ezekiel, all the way through, he's describing God as a flashing cloud of lightning and gleaming ember, coals of fire, brilliant torches and smoke. The sound was like crashing waves on a seashore, the rumbling sound of a mighty army. He filled his stomach with the Word of God. And his senses were so overwhelmed in Ezekiel 3 that he sat stunned and silent for seven days. In Revelation, we hear that the sound of God's voice is like a trumpet blast. The appearance of his hair and the fire of his eyes and his polished bronze like a refined furnace. And it goes on and on and all the senses are being assaulted. I want to tell you, if you have a problem with church being loud, you're going to have a problem in heaven. It's amazing. And there are these people that need their senses stimulated and they connect with God that way through art and music and experiences. How do you do it? Through worship, through encounter. But be careful. Be careful that you don't use worship as entertainment. Be careful that you don't worship worship. Be careful that you're not going from one worship experience to another worship experience. God made your senses and He wants you to encounter Him through them, but don't worship worship. Don't worship the encounter. Worship the God We're worshiping. Number three, the traditionalist. I am also a traditionalist. The person who loves God through rituals and symbols, maybe because I was brought up a Catholic. (laughs) And the people who are sensates often can misunderstand the traditionalists and vice versa. But I'm a traditionalist and I hang so much on tradition. You know, we don't eat red meat on Good Friday because it's a tradition. I explain that to my children. Every year we celebrate Passover and we do the, the whole thing and we explain what it means. At Christmas, we have traditions that we do every year. Every birthday, we have traditions. At the beginning and end of every term, we have traditions. Um, at the end of every day, we do pits and peaks. Why? Because it gives me and our family a sense of belonging. Tradition says this is my identity, this is who I am, this is what the Gunsers do. Well, also in the kingdom of God, the traditionalist understands this is who I am, this is my identity, this is why I do what I do. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God actually instituted feasts and festivals and He commanded that people honour them. He actually, I'm writing a book called Thou Shalt Party. Because God was like, this is the party that you're going to do or else you're in trouble. Like God was all about tradition in the Old Testament as well because it blesses us. We connect with Him through it. 
We find value and identity and family through tradition. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. We find in the book of Acts that the apostles would have the afternoon hour of prayer, that they would do the purification rituals. Tradition is a very precious thing. Tradition is a very precious thing. Number four, the ascetics. These are the people who are the opposite to the sensates. They worship God through solitude and discipline. They pull away. These ones need simplicity and solitude to connect with God. And I do actually believe that everybody needs an aspect of this regularly in their weekly lives. Solitude. Because we can so easily just get overstimulated with the things of the world that we can't hear the voice of God. The static of the world fills our lives and we can't hear him anymore. Henry Nguyen says you cannot be a spiritual person without the discipline of solitude. In the Bible, we see the Nazarites, John the Baptist, the people who set themselves apart from the world. I intentionally do things differently from the way the world does. I set myself apart for God. I mark myself for God. This is an ascetic Jesus. 40 days of fasting. He would pray in secret. He often withdrew to the desert places to pray. And before Calvary, Jesus went to Gethsemane. I want to tell you that public victories are won in private. Public victories are first won in private. I want to tell you that your salvation was not won at Golgotha. It was won in Gethsemane. When Jesus stood on the head of the serpent after defying his own will and his own soul desire and stood up and said, not my will, but your will be done. And he could only do that after a season of solitude alone in prayer. It's a powerful place. So, so how do you do it? Well, if you're a person who is leaning this way, you might find yourself sleepless quite often. I want to tell you, you don't have insomnia. God is calling you to pray. Turn your sleepless nights into prayer investment. He is calling you. I get this picture that he's sitting on the edge of your bed going, you don't have insomnia. You're called to pray. Get up and pray. Use those hours to pray. Be still. Be still. Maybe you need to do some self-denial, some fasting. These people love fasting. They find strength in it. They build connection with God through it and obedience. Ascetics love to be obedient quickly. They hear a prompting and they do it straight away. It's just that personality profile, that spiritual personality. Number five. Oh, my goodness. I love these guys. The activists. The activists. They love God through confrontation. Yes, I see your hand, young person. This is the sort of person that will not turn away from a fight. That will not turn a blind eye. They live by the mantra, now that I've seen, I'm responsible. This is the activist, the person who connects with God through standing up that connects with God through standing 
for truth. Moses was a reluctant activist. I want to tell you, it's okay to be a reluctant activist. I think many activists are reluctant activists. Like, why did I have to see that? Now I can't do nothing about it. Many of us are reluctant activists. Moses but he made an eternal impact by standing and trusting and doing the hard thing in the face of culture. Elijah and Elisha, man, they stood up to kings. They confronted whole nations. They stood against cultural norms on their own with everyone else saying, you're wrong. They stood up. They were activists. Jesus. Do you remember when he threw the tables over in the temple? Now tell me that's not an activist. When he stood in front of the priests and he goes, tell me that's not. We have this picture of Jesus as meek and mild with a perfect blow wave and like perfect complexion. He was an activist as well. He really was. He really was. And do you know what? This person is driven by obedience and motivated by a love for God and a love for his kingdom. And the church has led the world throughout history in this way, fighting the evils of racism, poverty, sexual slavery, abortion, pornography, all sorts of other things. The church has led the way. Christian activists and our mission statement as City Point is to unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. Do you know what? Instead of writing letters to Parliament, why don't you run for Parliament? Instead of just protesting, why don't you get involved in that industry? Instead of just being a keyboard warrior, why don't you do something about it? Be an activist. Number six, caregivers. Oh, when I read this chapter in this book, cry. And I wept reading this. These are the Mother Teresas of the world. These are the ones that actually get in the gutter with people. They get dirty. They give up everything. They nurse people. These are the nurses, the aged care workers, the chaplains. These are the ones that get into the dirt with people. No matter what it looks like, smells like, costs, they're in there with the people. And they'll say to you, no, 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 they serve me more than I serve them. And actually, Mother Teresa saw the image of God in the eyes of every poor and sick and needy person. And the only qualification she would ask of her workers was, does this bring you joy? And caregivers find joy in this work. And they find joy because they see Jesus in the eyes of every person they're serving. And so they connect with God through serving people, through providing care. We saw Jesus care for the sick, the demon-possessed, the lost, the poor. He had compassion on the multitudes. He placed his own needs beneath the needs of others. Jesus is the reason that the world associates care with religion. You see, there's a sin of commission, which is when you do the wrong thing. There's also a sin of omission when you fail to do the right thing. And the caregiver does the right thing. 
the caregiver gets in there and does the right thing. And it should be a part of every Christian's life, evidence of God in the world. How can you be a caregiver? Well, you can help a friend through personal crisis. You can donate time at a shelter, volunteer at a hospital, work in a soup kitchen, become a youth worker, adopt a child, foster a child. If you're a mechanic, fix someone's car. If you're a carpenter, repair a house. You can research a cure for a disease. You can mow a single mum's lawn. You can provide respite for tired parents. You can provide budget counseling for someone who's struggling. If you're a lawyer, you can do pro bono work. You can donate meals to sick families. You can sponsor someone to a conference or a camp. You can pay a bill for somebody, buy groceries for someone, join Red Frogs, volunteer in the kids' ministry. Be a caregiver. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, The King, the Lord, will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of these, you were actually doing it for me. And the caregiver realizes what they do for the least of these, they're actually doing for God. It's a way to connect with God for some people. Number seven, the enthusiasts, the people who connect with God through mystery and celebration. These are different to the sensates, although they can be quite similar. But the the enthusiast, enthusiast is the person who lets go, lets everything to the wind just to experience God. Okay, so the traditionalist knows exactly what time of the service the tithes and offering is going to be collected. The enthusiast is like, if we have a move of God, no one will notice if we don't collect the offering. It's like two completely different types of people in the same room wanting to connect with the same God. And so the enthusiast is the person who's always hoping, always waiting, always suspecting God's going to move, always like on the edge of their seat. They're waiting for an encounter. These are encounter junkies. The enthusiast, the person who just wants to skydive into the things of God. Do you know, we were told once, (laughs) we were told once by a couple who was leaving the church that we're too positive. (laughs) See ya. But the enthusiast can sometimes seem naive and insensitive. And that's hard when you know someone's going through a hard thing, but you want to uplift them. I'm not naive or insensitive. I'm actually just really hopeful for you. I'm enthusiastic about what God can do, that He can show out in your situation. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. I actually just am so excited for what God can do in your situation. That's the enthusiast. The enthusiast chases the prophetic, chases the miracles, chases the manifestation, chases the encounters. That's the enthusiast. We see it in the Old and the New Testament, but the dangers here is that you can become a junkie who is driven by feelings. You can also develop an independent spirit. You know, those people who say God said all the time. And sometimes I wonder when I listen to them, is God schizophrenic? Because last year he said this, and this year he's saying something completely different. You've got to be careful. (laughs) You anchor yourself. You anchor yourself. So cultivate the miraculous, not just on a Sunday, every day of the week. Make sure that in your busy life, you're not just skipping over what's right in front of you, chasing an encounter inside a conference or a building that you miss the person you could be having an encounter with. Every minute of every day, worship, 
community. Enthusiasts often pursue relational pathways. So get connected. Number eight, two more to go. The intellectuals. I love these guys. These are the ones who connect with God, love God through the faculty of the mind. In Mark 12:30 it says you must love your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I want to tell you when you became a Christian God did not remove your brain. The faculty of the mind. Do you know that's why lyrics in a song are so important? I'm a little bit this pathway. If a song is not doctrinally sound, I literally will not let myself sing it. <laughs> the enthusiast or the sensate's like, woo, awesome song, sounds so great. But the intellectual's going, mm, mm, mm. Different pathways, different people. The high call of loving God with the mind. Do you know most schools and universities were started by the church? The sermon doesn't follow or precede worship. It is worship. And it's countercultural because the world tells us to seek fame and stuff, but the Bible tells us that our primary calling is to get wisdom and understanding. Jesus, at the age of 12, was found discussing deep things in the temple. 12-year-olds. And teaching was a major part of his ministry. Yes, he satisfied the enthusiasts with miracles, but he was majorly involved in teaching. The faculty of the mind. A warning to intellectuals, stay away from con controversy. Be careful not to be a keyboard warrior. Be careful of pride because we tend to love a good debate if we're intellectuals. We just are drawn into that. Just be careful. Do you know the remedy for all of that is to serve? Serve. If you know stuff, serve. Don't just know stuff. For goodness sake, do something for someone with the stuff you know. Read your Bible, get into ethics, says in the book here, one of the greatest downfalls of the modern church is that we've replaced what convicts me with what offends me. <laughs> when we know what the Bible says, it doesn't matter what offends you. The Word of God, intellectual. I know what the Word of God says. Get into ethics and serve. And the last one, the contemplatives. The ones who love God through adoration. I love these people. I have so many of these ones in my life. They, they just will spend hours and hours just loving God, just abandoned in His presence. So it's like the spouse, the marriage relationship. I just love you, Lord, and I know you love me. The beloved relationship. They're fueled by desire and motivated by love. They just want to bathe in the ocean of God's goodness. David was a contemplative. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed on your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. 
You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, Lord, meditating on you all through the night. Is that true of you? How cool is that? Because you are my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. It's the difference between Mary and Martha. (laughs) Mary, who just loved on God. The contemplative just loves on God. The woman with the alabaster jar, who was willing to give away an $80,000 bottle of perfume. Just waste it. Just waste it. When was the last time you gave Jesus something worth $80,000? She just, that's it, God. I just, I'm a, I just love you. I just love you. Prayer. Do you know one of the best ways if you're a contemplative? So obviously you're going to pray. Obviously you're going to spend time alone with God. What about secret acts of devotion? Because, you know, like in a, in a human relationship, love relationship, you do secret things for each other. It's the stuff that goes on that only the two of you know about. Well, it's the same in a relationship with God, doing secret acts of kindness that only you and God know about. What about going on a secret walk or a night vigil with God or establishing a secret devotional place that you go to or giving an anonymous gift to someone as God prompts you, being that sneaky person who does things in secret. I didn't know for ages who did the lawns around here and I call him the ninja gnome because he's here before anyone else, often before the sun even rises on a Sunday. A contemplative does things in secret just for God for no one else, just for God. It doesn't matter if no one else sees it, it's just for God. So why don't you stand to your feet tonight? Bow your heads and reflect. Which one are you? We're talking about the upper room. We're talking about connecting with God. And this is our last Sunday of the upper room theme. And so with your eyes closed, I want you to consider which one are you? so that you can connect with God, so that you can develop a discipline, a routine, a habit of connecting God according to your spiritual pathway. Are you a naturalist? Are you a sensate? The person who sees God in creation or the person who experiences God through art and music and beautiful things? Are you a traditionalist? Do you need to connect with God through the avenues of tradition? an ascetic, someone who solitude and discipline is the way that you're going to connect with God, an activist, do you actually need to engage? Do you need to engage? Worship God through your activism. Are you a caregiver? Do you need to give away that admin job and work in the nursing home so that you can worship God through your caregiving? Are you an enthusiast, someone who's just going to love God through the encounters and, and, and speak hope into every single situation and every person? Are you that person? Are you an intellectual? Do you need to spend more time studying the creeds and biblical history and theology and apologetics? Is that you? Are you a contemplative, the person that just needs to spend more time loving, just in the ocean of God's love, doing secret acts of kindness that only you and Him know about? Which one are you? Which two or three or four or five of them are you? How can you incorporate them into your life? 
to take you into the secret places of God, to build you in the spirit. And maybe who are the ones around you and and what are they? Because what's important is that we recognize that someone else might connect with God differently to me. And that is awesome. That is awesome. That God created them that way. What are your siblings? What are your friends? What is your spouse? And how can you facilitate their pathway to God? How can you celebrate their pathway to God? How can you see God through their eyes? What can they offer you in your revelation and your walk with God? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.